Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We started our, our, uh, our fast this week. How many of y'all are fasting with us? We're just jumping in. We're saying, man, we want more of the Lord. So what fasting does is it, is it causes us to decrease. And when we decrease, we expand ourselves, and it opens us up to receive more uh, from the Lord. And we talked about Elijah last week and how it says that he stretched himself out on that boy three times. And so we're doing three, we're doing three weeks, and we're stretching ourselves out to say, Lord, we want more of you in our life, right? This is the goal of our heart. It's the goal of the year is more of the Lord. And I'm going to talk about goals a little bit today. I'm going to talk a little bit about personal goalsmithing. Goalsmithing is kind of a word that I I think Amada came up with, I don't know, a couple years ago that we basically are able to smith, you know, like a goldsmith or a metalsmith works with metals. We work with blacksmith, whatever you want to call it, whatever your term, whatever you feel like you want to call it, whatever you identify as. Just kidding. Uh, So we are we're goalsmithing. We're we're smithing our goals. We're formulating our goals in in order to to be able to achieve them. And you should have goals in your life. So I'm going to talk a little bit about personal goalsmithing today. But I also want to spend a little bit of time talking about our corporate goal. Our goal is a family. And so if you'll bear with me today, I, th- I think I'll give you some stuff that, that will help you. It might not be a, a whole lot of like preaching stuff today. We'll get, we'll get a little bit of that in there. So some of you are, are really excited that I'm not going to yell for, uh, you know, 35, 40 minutes. But but the rest of you will be like, yes, 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 data, I love it. Okay, so uh, how many of you know this, that more doesn't just happen? You don't wake up tomorrow and there's more of the Lord, right? You, you've got, there, there's some, some things that you have to do to see some, some increase of the Lord. A lot of that is you decreasing. A lot of it is you just going after the Lord. But more, just like anything else in your life, it doesn't just happen. You don't just start experiencing more of the Lord because you wish it in your heart or you kind of hope it will happen. No, no, no. There's got to be some things in your life to see more activity. You've got to have, you've got to put put some things in place. And one of those things is you got to have some goals. There's a, an old cartoon that I saw years ago. I actually just heard about it, and it's because of the wonderful interwebs, I was able to get on there and find this this cartoon. And the gar- cartoon, I think we have it, is a, a picture of this this monk, and he he shoots an arrow at a fence, and then he goes and draws the target around it, right? That's that's it, how many of you know that that that's great. It looks like he did really well, but that's not really what goal setting is about, right? Go anybody can hit a goal like that. You just shoot at a blank fence and you draw a target around it. But but we know that life doesn't work that way. That if we're going to hit the target, if we're going to hit the bulls off, we're going to nail it. Come on, if we're going to be quote unquote successful, if we're going to accomplish the thing that the Lord has put in our heart, then we've got to, we've got to set our sights on something. And so we don't just draw targets around life. And some of you, you've just been letting life live you. You haven't been living with intentionality. You've just been letting life kind of happen, and you just kind of fill in the spaces and just, you know, kind of taking it as it comes and build a bridge, you know, and we'll just kind of build a bridge when we get there. And I understand there are certain things in your life that are like that, but some of you just been living your whole life like that. But I think you need to have a plan rolled up in your back pocket so when you get to that bridge, you can actually build it and not just hope it appears. And so Jesus believed in setting goals. And some of you all like to think, no, Jesus is just kind of fly by the seat of the pants. I want to share a story about the miracle of more. Everybody say the miracle of more. It says this in John chapter 6, a very familiar story. In fact, this, this, this story is so familiar, it's in all four Gospels. 
All four Gospels share this. So it's, so it's really one that the Lord wanted to communicate. And it says this in John chapter 6. If you've been doing your fast, you read this. And so that's kind of why I decided to use John's account. He says this, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him. Now, the, the picture is this. Jesus is trying to get away from the crowd. A lot of times Jesus was trying to get away from it all so he could get with his father. And here he is again trying to get away with his disciples. And it says that when Jesus looked up, he sees the crowd coming. Because they're like, man, we want, we want more of the Lord. We're just going to keep following him. He's trying to get away. And here they show up. And it says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy food for all these people to eat? Where are we going to get food, right? We need to cater a meal. He asked this only to test him, and this is very important, for he already had in mind what, what he was going to do. So Jesus already knew what he was going to do, and then he asks Philip this question. And Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Simon Peter's brother Andrew, said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Verse 10, then Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of, the gra- plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now, in other versions of the story, from other perspectives that we read in the other Gospels, when it says that there were only 5,000, that's only counting the men. So there was easily 15,000 people that Jesus is about to feed, and all they have is five little loaves of bread and two small fish, enough for a boy's lunch. So out of 15,000 people, that's all the food they can find. Now, I'm sure there was somebody kind of like, you know, holding out. But that's not a lot. I mean, even a, even a half year's wages, if they can even find a place to sell the food, think about the difficulty there. And so here's just this little sack lunch that this boy has. So Jesus has had the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so he set them down. Very important. Then he took the loaves, gave thanks. How many know he gave thanks before there was enough? Come on. How many know sometimes you've got to get develop gratitude before the miracle happens? Some of you think, well, I'll praise God after the miracle. He's wanting your praise before the miracle happens. In fact, I would say that your praise opens the door for the miracle to happen. So Jesus gives thanks, and he distributes those who receded as much as they wanted. All those 15,000 people with five little loaves of bread and two fish. That's a miracle. It's a miracle. How many of you know that it, what you have might be small, but when you yield it to the Lord, he brings the increase? It might be small, but... If, but, but But it doesn't matter how small your small is. What he wants is just all you have. And if you will just give him all you have, you will experience and see the goodness of God. But some of you are withholding what you have, saying, I want to see God's goodness by holding on to what I have. He's saying, if you will give me what you have, you'll see my goodness. Yield what you have. Surrender what you have. It's not that value. It's only one meal, beloved. You might, to you, it might be so precious. It's, it's really small and insignificant, but if you give it to him, but if you give it to him, if you just give it to him. So he gives thanks that he distributed to those that were seated as much as they wanted. 
Now, I'm there. I want more than five little loaves and two fish. This is enough to feed a boy, but not a grown man, not a 210-pound man. Can't feed me. I'm going to want more than that. So it says that it fed every person, 15,000 people, eat till they're satisfied. He did the same with the fish. And when they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Don't you love that? The Lord doesn't waste anything. He will use it all. So the disciples gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over. (laughs) The miracle of more. How did this miracle take place? How did the people experience the goodness of God in this crazy, miraculous measure? How? Well, first of all, there was intentionality. How many know that before the miracle ever came to pass, Jesus asked a question to Simon, how are we going to feed them? The other, the other versions of the story, Jesus tells the disciples, y'all need to feed them. He's not even like, I'm going to feed them. You're going to feed them. Okay, Lord, how are we going to do that? Because we don't have the money for it. There's not even a place that sells enough food for this. I mean, this is a big catering deal. We didn't plan for this, but Jesus did. He was intentional because he had in his mind way before the problem ever came up, he already had the solution. I love that about Jesus. Jesus has solutions before there's problems. (laughs) He's intentional. He already had in mind what he's going to do. The second thing is Jesus had a plan. Now, in Luke's gospel, it says that Jesus separated the people by 50s. Mark comes along and he says, actually, there were groups of 50s and groups of 100s. So you have groups of 50, groups of 100, five loaves of bread and two fish. I don't know how you do the math. I don't know how you split it up. But there was a plan. Jesus had them sit down in these groups and they gave it to the disciples, blessed the food, gave it to the disciples, and they distributed it. There was a plan. There was a system. Strange. Jesus uses a system. The third thing they have that we have here in the story is that the people were satisfied. They were completely satisfied. They all had as much as they wanted. I mean, I, I, I kind of like fish. I can eat a lot of fish. I could have been completely satisfied I was there. I probably wouldn't be satisfied with two pieces. You take me to get some catfish, I'm not satisfied with two pieces. I mean, I'll probably stop there because, you know, or at least I should, right? But if I'm fully satisfied, I'm eating a lot more than two pieces. So they eat, they have their fill, and then it says this, that there was plenty left over. See, I love this about this story because it shows us that if we can get into the plan of God, Come on, if we can set our goals right with the Lord, if we can get his heart, then they'll always be left over. And some of you, in your goal setting, in your goal smithing, in your plans, in the things that you want to do, you think, if I do that, there won't be any left over. There won't be any of me left over. And some of you have talked yourself into burnout before you've ever set a goal. Beloved, in the kingdom, we don't burn out. We rust out. We don't burn out. I, I, I hate that word burnout, by the way, because I got the Holy Spirit inside of me, the eternal flame. He doesn't burn out. It's impossible to burn out if I got the Holy Ghost in me. The only time I can burn out is if I get him out. 
<laughs> if he's not present. There will be enough. There will be enough if you get in on the plan of God. So, let me give you some practicals. Goldsmithing. Now, we talk about goldsmithing. We're talking about goldsmithing for kingdom people. Now, the world has its systems and the way it sets goals and all that. You can go buy a book, Barnes & Noble, awesome. Some of those might be kingdom principles. In fact, Dan, if you want to you say, well, systems and all that kind of stuff, if you want to look at that, look at, look at the book of Daniel. Daniel was a man of, that had an excellent spirit. The, the government came to him to get the mind of God. And I believe a lot of the systems in the world today that actually work are probably from the mind of God because God had a servant there to say, this is what you need to do. It's called wisdom. All right? So the first thing you got to have if you're going to set some goals is you've got to have priorities. Priorities. Everybody say priorities. You know what priorities are, right? That's why you're here today. Because you had a priority. You could have slept. Come on, you could have watched Tom and Jerry. Well, they don't show that anymore. But you could you could have stayed at home and slept a little longer. I know your 11 o'clock service. I know that you could have slept till noon today. But you didn't because you have a priority to be here. You have a priority in your life. And so when we talk about priorities, the first thing that we always do when we set our priorities is we say God first. Right? We're so spiritual. Even people that don't love Jesus, they're like, God first. I just want to thank God. I mean, it's really all about me, but I want to make sure and thank God for making it all about me. Right? Priorities. Can I tell you something? Jesus never asked to be on your list of priorities. Because Jesus is not, not interested in being in the list. He's interested in being the point of the list. The priority is Jesus central. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I have a list. And it all points to Jesus. The way that I raise my family. The way that I work at a job that I love or a job that I hate. It's all about Jesus. So my my list points to him. So he does, he's not interested in being on your list. He's interested in being the point of the list. This is why when Jesus said, whenever they asked, when Jesus asked somebody, he says, what's, what's the most important commandment? We know what it is, right? Love the Lord your God with all, all your heart, all your soul. All, not love God first. No, no, no. It's love him with everything. Love him with your whole entire being. So when we talk about priorities, Jesus is at the center of it all. He is the point of our priorities. I am a person of God, therefore he is my priority. All my other priorities count to that. All my other priorities point to that. Are you tracking? See, when he is our purpose, even if our plans fail, his purpose prevails. So when Jesus is my, and then I come, man, I got my goals, and I'm ready, and I got my plans, and it falls apart. Jesus was the point of my plan. So guess what? His purpose prevails. Because he was the point all along. It wasn't about me being a better me for me, or even for my family. It's just for me being a, me, me being a, a more yielded son. So he's not interested in being first on the list, but the point of the list. Not first on the list, but the center of your life. And let me suggest this to you. 
the, the most important thing in your life, the most important thing in your life is your daily devotional life with Jesus. The most important thing in your life. Because if that falls apart, everything else will too. And we measure that. Listen, you screwed up this week. I did too. We all blew it at some point this past week. And so typically what we do is we use our sin issues as the barometer of our walk with God. I'm doing pretty good because I didn't cheat on my wife. I'm doing pretty How are things with Jesus? Immediately we go to how many sins did I not commit this week? Now, sin is an indicator. Sin is an indicator. Behavior, listen, behavior is a byproduct of your relationship with God. Don't think just because you were a good boy this week that that means you're in right relationship with God. Because your works apart from him are like filthy rags. Do you need to have good works? Absolutely. God created you for them. Should you live a life free of sin? Absolutely. But that is not the single barometer. I would say this, that the main barometer, the main measurement of your relationship with God is how much time did you spend with him this week? That's the barometer. I don't, I don't go around and say, yeah, I've got a great marriage. I haven't had an, an affair in six months. Well, if you had a good marriage, you wouldn't have had an affair in the first place. Are you tracking? So we need to get to the point to where we're well connected to Jesus, and that's the measuring. I'm connected to him. I'm in love with him. I screw up sometimes. I make mistakes, but that is not the only indicator. I will screw up less if I'm more well-connected, and he's the point. And if I keep him as the goal of my life, I'm, I'm going to hit a little more often. Are y'all tracking? So behavior is a byproduct of my relationship with Jesus. So what, what does he call us to? What is the priority of my life? If Jesus is central, you're saying he's not supposed to be a priority, what should be the priority? Jesus says this, seek first the kingdom. He doesn't say seek first God. He says love God with all. But seek first the kingdom. What is the number one priority? If you have a list of ten things, what is the number thing? Number one thing, kingdom. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean church. Church fits into that in a way. But kingdom means God's dominion in your life. So my marriage is a kingdom element. My raising of my kids, my family, that is a kingdom element. You all okay? So Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness and all these, well, I, I got my job. My job is the most important thing because I don't, I, don't, I don't work really good and, and I don't have a good job. I can't provide for my family. That's, that's so noble. I'm so proud of you for having those priorities. But Jesus said that in the context of Matthew 6, he's like, why are you freaking out about what you're going to wear? Why are you freaking out about why you're going to eat? Why are you worried about all this stuff? He said, if you will do this, if you will seek first the kingdom, my father will make, if you will take care of what's God's, he'll take care of what's yours. Kingdom first. And this is the commission, right? So we have the great command, love God with all. Then we have the commission, disciple nations. Kingdom, advance the kingdom. It's the same thing that, that happened in the garden. So, beloved, get this. God isn't trying to fit into your plan. He's not trying to fit into your priority list. He's trying to fit you into his plan. So no, it's not God... What is your plan for my life? It's my life for God's plan. That's the agenda. The, the agenda of life is God's plan. 
How can I get into the plan of God? How can I get into what God is doing on the earth? And being aware of that, it'll happen. If, you will, if that will be your heart's cry, it will happen. That's a good goal. See, our culture is about me, me, me. What I think, what I want, what I love, following Christ is counterculture because it's all about him, 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 him. What he wants, what he thinks, what he loves, that's where we're supposed to be. We're putting the kingdom first. Again, what we talked about last week, the better you is the lesser you. I must decrease. I must decrease. Okay, so priorities, (laughs) right? And in the kingdom, all those things line up. Right? In the kingdom, my wife. Right? In the kingdom, my kids. They're under the dominion of God. Come on. In the kingdom, my job. Right? I'm serving Jesus by working really hard. I can even work at a job that I hate, a job that takes too much out of me. I can still honor God in that. Why? Because Jesus is the point. So whenever I work at a job that I don't necessarily like, Jesus is the point. And at the end of the day, I'm successful at my job and I can find enjoyment in my job because I'm working for Jesus, not for a man. And I'm there to represent Jesus. That's your success. Your success at your job is not how much money you make or getting the promotion you want. Your success at your job is did you honor Jesus? Wow. And you you could be more successful. You could be more successful working at the Waffle House than at a multi-billion dollar corporation because you're honoring Jesus by doing that redneck hibachi, right? We love it. I stole that from a meme. Okay. Redneck. Y'all didn't see that? All right, priorities. I stole it. Uh, It's mine now. No credit anymore. So, priorities. Number two is Goldsmithing, number two, is being purposeful. That means that you live with intention. This is what happens with Jesus. He was living intentionally. That you live with intentionality. That you think, I have a purpose in my life. My purpose is to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be Jesus-centered, and be about the king's business. And I'm living with intention. That I have purpose in everything. Listen, if you don't live with intention, then demands will control your attention. And what you don't want is you don't want every little thing that comes up, every little quote-unquote what we would call setback, what you don't want that to do is distract you from what you're designed for. And, beloved, you were designed for incredible, incredible things. You were designed for supernatural things. You were, you were assigned, God created you for heaven's agenda. I mean, it, think about that. God had a plan, and he looked at you and he said, I want you in on it. Whoa. Me? I mean, I look at my life when I was 18 years old and God called me into ministry. I'm like, you must have got the wrong guy. I am not the one you want, God. And I, I would maybe suggest this, that I, that I ran for God for two years because I had that mindset. But when you get it, when you start living with that intentionality, it changes everything. So God has called us to live a life of purpose, a life that matters, a life that makes a difference, not just to survive, not just to pay the bills, not to just make it through the end of the week, not just to simply make enough money so our kids can go to good college, so their kids can go to good college, not just, not just that, but, but, but to have a life that matters, a life that makes a difference, a life, listen, a life that, that, 
plunders hell and populates heaven. That's what God is calling you to, to to see things like sickness vanish. This is the life he's calling you to, to see things like poverty end. Things like slavery cease. This is the life he's calling you to. It's the kingdom. It's available. Ephesians chapter 2. I said I wasn't going to preach real hard today, but oh well. Sorry. Not sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. For we are God's workmanship. That, that word in the Greek is poetic masterpiece. We are God's, you are God's poetic masterpiece. Hey, how about that? Created in Christ to do good works. So you're not, you're not saved by good works, but you are created for them. Good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. God was intentional when he created you. He said, I have a plan. I'm going to create Noah for his plan. I have this plan, so Noah's going to be born, and he's going to fulfill that plan. That's what God, that's how intentional God is. I love it. He created, he's a great schemer. I mean, he's a great big plan. And he goes, I want you in it right here. And I want you in it right here. And beloved, it's so important that you fulfill your part because it plays into my part. So you better get with it. Let's do it together. What's your part? So the plan. How do we develop a plan? Well, first of all, we pray. I mean, if the plan is all about God, then shouldn't we ask God about it? So before you sit down and start making your great list that you're going to show God, oh, God, look at my impressive list. He's going, that's so small. When you're making that list, pray about it. If it's all about God, we should probably ask him about it. Second thing you do is process. When you're making that list, when you're making those goals, process. Ask yourself and ask the Lord these questions. What? What am I doing? What does more of the Lord look like? What's what's your crop of the year? More. Awesome. What does that look like? Oh. Uh, It means it will feel better in worship. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's not a bad thing. It means it, it won't be hard for me to get out of bed when I pray. It w- there will be days. There will be days it's hard. There will be days that you won't do it. The question is, will you allow that to become three or four days? That's the question. So, what does it look like? What does more of the Lord look like? For me, let me help you. For me, it looks like seeing three Sick people get healed this year that I pray for. Come on. It's for me seeing 30 people led to the Lord this year. Personally, that I witnessed to, that I told about Jesus and they come to the Lord. Do you have goals like that in your life? Or is it all about you? These are important. What? What what are the goals? Yeah, lose weight. Yeah. Okay. Second question, why? So why do I want to lose weight? So I look better. Well, that's a little bit about it. I want to look better for my wife. For show, come on, hey. When I don't have a shirt on, I want to look good for her. Mm-hmm. Shaba. So what, what are your motives? I want, I want to be around longer. I want to have more energy for the things that God's put in my heart to do. I don't want to be lethargic and lazy. So I, and, and I want to be more self-disciplined, which is a fruit of the Spirit. So <laughs> that's pretty good. It's kind of hard to put down Whataburger. It's kind of hard to. Uh, 
W is calling me. Right? It's hard. But self-discipline, that's a goal. See, I want to be able to say no to a double-double with mayo and jalapenos. I want to say no to that. So hard. But why? Why? Why do you want to say no? Why do you want to say yes? Why is this my goal? When? When is my goal? What is the timeline of my goal? Did you know that your goals need to be measurable? Are they measurable? I want to be able to hit the target from five feet. I want to be able to hit the target from 50 feet. Start off at five. Push right there. (laughs) You take me to the gun range, five feet, I can hit it every time. 15 feet, probably not. Right? I'll let Nick take care of that from 50 feet. For me, I'm just like, okay, go ahead, buddy. I'll pray for you, right, as you, as you shoot. When? When is it going to change? Measurable. Where? And the where is this? Where is faith involved? See, this is the beauty of it. God has called us to steward the impossible. The impossible requires faith. See, if your goals, if you can reach your goals, they're too small. What, what faith is involved in your goals? Oh, yeah, that, look at that. That's pretty attainable. I think I can do that. Great, but you don't need God's help then. So your goals need to be to a point to where it causes me to have to depend upon the Lord to reach them. Lord, I, I want to do things that are impossible. Heal the sick. That's impossible. I need God's help to do that. Next is this. Well, let me finish that. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you have goals that don't require faith, they don't please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is or he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, another translation, I like the word, diligently seek him. So God wants you to diligently seek him. He wants you to diligently pursue him, knowing that he's a rewarder of those that do. See, he loves that our theme this year is more. The devil hates it. But God loves it. He's like, I want them to earnestly seek me. It'll it'll please my heart because I love to answer. And I love to reward those that diligently seek them. So seek me. Please seek me. Because I want to reward you for that. I love it. <laughs> I love that God puts things in our put prayers in our heart that He wants to answer. <laughs> so good. All right. So you got to have intentionality. Where are we at? Priorities, being purposeful, plan. Next is this. Put it to pen. Real quick. Put it to pen. What does that mean? That means that you write it down. Go to Walmart, buy a Sharpie or an erasable marker. Go to your mirror at your house and write it on there. This is what I want to see. Get you some, don't go to Pinterest, do it yourself. Put some creativity into it and write it. It might be terrible, but nobody has to look at it but you. Put it in front of your face. Write the vision so that you can run with it first. And when you start running, you'll inspire others and they'll start running with you too. Next is this, leave some room. Leave some room. Write it down, then leave some room. Other words, create margin. I didn't lose 50 pounds by February, (laughs) but I lost 10. 
right? So leave a little room. Why? Because God likes to surprise us. He's Jehovah sneaky, right? He likes to come in and sneak in and do stuff. He likes to blow us away, right? Proverbs 16, 9. It's so funny how first service won't laugh at certain things. And second, then you guys are like, y'all are usually the tough crowd. No, they still laugh. I've been using that for years. They still laugh. It's good. I'll keep using it, Lord. Okay. I'll say that. Proverbs 16.9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We can make our plans. We should make our plans. Read the book of Proverbs all about planning. I mean, it's so much. You should plan. Jesus is like, you should plan. You don't go out and build a house without considering how much. You should plan. But understand this, that the Lord determines my steps. So I don't get all frustrated. I didn't reach my goal. It's okay. Relax. Create some margin. Leave some room. Number five is this, partner with others. Partner with others. See, anything that you can do by yourself is too small. Anything you can do with, without faith is too small. But also, the, th- the dreams of your heart should require a team. Do you understand that the, that the Bible was not written to you? It was written for you. Come on. But not you in an individual sense, but us. This, we are the bride of Christ corporately. We, we've kind of got into this individual like mindset that everything's all about me. Listen, if you can do it, there's no way I can win the world for Jesus. There's no way I can win the city of Grand Prairie for Jesus. But I think we can. I think we can eradicate cancer. I think we can. I can't. But I think we can by the power of God. So anything you can do by yourself is too small. We're all, we're all understanding that we need to serve a greater vision, a larger vision. There's some benefits to that. One is you, you, you sow and you reap. And sometimes, sometimes you are not sowing in your garden. Guess what? Sometimes somebody else isn't sowing in their garden. Sometimes they're sowing in yours. And you get to reap the benefits of that. And the, the, another great benefit of, of serving somebody else's vision, whether it be a corporate vision like I'm going to share about in just a minute, or the, or the vision of the person sitting next to you. Part of it is it keeps you from being so narrow focused on your dreams and your goals and your life and your trouble and your worries. Some of you can't get out of depression because you're so focused just on yourself. And you can't rejoice when anybody else has success because you're just so isolated in your mind. Sometimes you got to rejoice for what you want when it's in somebody else. And then watch, watch when it happens for you and watch them rejoice with you. Beloved, we can't expect people to, to weep with us if we're not willing to rejoice with them. It's, it goes together. We weep with one another and we rejoice with one another. Even when we don't feel like rejoicing. Sometimes, re, sometimes rejoicing is, is a seed. So we have some goals here as a church, as a, as a church family. I started praying in the fall. I'm, I'll just be honest. I'm just not really like, I used to be so like, oh, my goals are on my list. And, and I just kind of got away from that because I, I felt like it kind of became about checking the boxes. But I really felt like the Lord really starting to prod my heart last year when we said more. What does more look like for Overflow Church? So I said, Lord, what do you, 
what do you want to do in 2020 at Overflow Church? And the first thing that I really felt like the Lord provoking me in was baptism. We do a couple baptisms a year, two or three a year. Get a few people baptized. It's always great. But I feel like that there needs to be an emphasis of that because it was an emphasis in the, in the life of Jesus. Jesus told us to baptize people. He said, well, why aren't we counting souls? I count baptisms as souls because we get, we get 100 people in the room and then five people raise their hands and we never see them again. So I'm like, how do we really know like they're in the Lord? I think baptism is a way that we really know. That's a, it's a better metric to measure. It's a little bit more stable. So I was like, Lord, what, what are we going to do? And I said, okay, Lord. I said, we'll baptize 50 people in 2020. So that's what we're going to do at Overflow Church. We normally baptize, I don't know, maybe 10 people a year. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna baptize 50 people. You know why? Because we're making it a point. We're deciding we're going to baptize every last Sunday of the month. We're going to have baptisms. We'll have our own tank. Right now we have to go. Part of the reason why it hasn't been emphasis because it's been a hassle. But you know what? We're going to go through the hassle. We're going to go buy a tank. We're going to put a tank. It's going to sit right back there in the room. It's going to sit back there in the corner. And when somebody gets baptized, they're going to sign their name on it. Until, the, until there's 50 names on it or 70 names on it. Until we have to buy another one. We're going to stack them. We're going to stack baptisms. Hold your breath. Right? So we're going to baptize 50 people. And listen, Josh Brown isn't going to do all the baptizing. Because you know why? Part of your commission is to baptize people. So if you lead them to the Lord, I'm not baptizing them. I mean, if, if you were, like, opposed to it, I'll do it. But I would rather you baptize them. If they're your kids and they're getting baptized, you baptize them. They're your kids. If you are responsible, you baptize them. So I'm going to equip you. We're going to equip you as a staff to let you baptize people. And sometimes I just don't want to have to roll my shirt up. Just kidding. I get in, I'll get in there with them, you know. We, we love, God's done some powerful things through baptisms. But I don't need to be the only one doing that. You need, if you're leading them to the Lord, if you're making the impact in their life, if someone recommits their life to the Lord and you're in on the process, you baptize them. You baptize your kids. Fifty people we're going to baptize together this year. The other thing that I really felt like that we needed to emphasize a little bit more is, is kind of our discipleship process, knowing who's with us. So we have the deeper track. And the deeper track's a three-week track. It's basically just so people can go through and we can say they're part of Overflow Church. It's like a way that you put a ring on it. This is my church. You're my people. I'm your people. We take care of one another. And so to become a member at Overflow, you go through three classes. It's really easy. But the problem is it's just kind of got... Sometimes kind of on the back burner, we've been doing it at, at, you know, after second service. So about, you know, 15 minutes from now, we normally start deeper track. And I say, you know what, what we're going to do is we're going to move it to 10 o'clock. That way it's a little bit more convenient for people. They're not so hungry that they feel like they can't, you know, miss a meal and come to deeper track. And you're going to say, you know, I'll commit to three weeks. And what our heart is, is we're going to have 100 people go through deeper track this year. And the reason why we say 100 is because there's a lot of you that haven't gone through it yet. Or maybe you started it and you didn't finish it. And so we want to see 100 people. So if you have a family of three people, then three people added to the count. Three people that we know as a church here with us, that we're family, that we're in this together. We're in covenant with one another. And this is the big one. Well, they're all big. But this is, this is the weighty one for me. As you know, we have been praying. We've been pleading We've been searching, we've been asking, we've been seeking, we've been knocking. Literally, I've gone to doors in our city and knocked on physical doors, literally, for a building. 
We love our little building. It's cute. It's nice. But we are out of space. I know the right, you could fit some more adults in here, but you go to the kids' room, you don't want to be in there. You'll be like, you walk in and you walk right out. It's packed. And the other thing is we really like being together like a couple of weeks ago when we had a, 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 a one service and just how good it felt to be together with all of our church family. We wanted to see every week. So we are like, man, we would love to be able to get to back to one service. A church our size shouldn't have two services. We should be one church. We're one family. And if that needs, you know, if that gets too big, then we split up. If we get a bigger space, we can do that. But so I just, man, we've been searching, we've been seeking, we've been knocking. Man, all this. I'm like, Lord, we need a building. And so I have some wisdom from some friends, some, some pastor friends of mine. Be like, man, you, maybe you guys need to start raising some money right now. I'm like, well, we don't have a building. Huh? We, don't, we don't have a building. Why are we going to raise money for a building we don't have? And I just really felt the Lord begin to provoke me in December. He said, you know what? You need to start allowing people to sow seeds for the future of Overflow Church. Seeds for the house. Seeds to expand what God is doing here. Because God wants to expand what we're doing. We can't grow. We're, we're kind of maxed out at growth in a lot of ways. We can't grow a lot more where we're at. We could grow a little bit, but it would be a mess. And I feel like that if we're going to get into a building this year, which I hope it's going to happen this year, I believe that we've got to put our money where our mouth is, literally. I believe that we've got to say, you know what, God, I have enough faith that you're going to do it that I'm going to sow some seeds that I'm going to make an investment in the future of Overflow Church. So what we're going to do in two weeks is we're, we're going to open it up to try to raise this year. We're going to raise. In 2020, we're going to raise $200,000 for the future of Overflow Church. $200,000. I can't do that on my own. But what I'm not going to ask you for is I'm not going to ask you for money. You say, well, how are we going to get the money? I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to plow with us. First of all, I'm going to ask you to pee. I'm going to ask you to pray. That pee. Not pee, pee. Just pee. One pee, pray. I'm going to ask you to pray. Second thing I'm going to ask you to do is listen. God, what, what do you want me to do? Overflow is my church. What do you want me to do? And then I want you to listen and see what the Lord puts on your heart. I want you to give... X amount of dollars this year to Overflow Church above your tithe and offering. We're not none of your tithes. None of your tithes can go to this project. None of your tithes. Your tithe goes to the Lord. That's devoted to the Lord. This is above that. You're going to pray. You're going to listen. Third of all, you're going to obey. You're going to obey the Lord. Lord, okay, you put that on my heart. I'm going to obey you. And the fourth thing you're going to do is this: you're going to watch God. You're going to watch God supply the seed that you've been asking for. And then what you're going to see is out of your generosity, God's going to bring an increase of generosity in your life. Not only are you going to be generous, you're going to see generosity happen. Because that's the way generosity works. You sow, you reap. And this is what it teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what he's decided in, our heart, in their heart to do. And so what we're asking is did you pray, did you listen. You obey and you watch God. Watch God move. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to baptize 50 people this year. We're going to get 100 people through our deeper track this year. This year we're going to raise $200,000 for the advancement of our house, for the expansion of our house, seeds for the house. We're sowing seeds into the house. So when that day comes, that day comes and we need to make a big payment, we, we, have, a, we have a 
a chunk of money we can put on it. Amen? Are you with me?